Amen. As you're seated, let's give the Lord another hand, just simply thanking Him. It's been a fun morning, been a fun morning to be together. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey today in a series called Legacy, Living a Life That Outlasts Yours. And uh, today I want to tell you about a legend. It's a legend, not a myth. There's truth to it. I can't tell you exactly when it began. I can't tell you all the foundation of it. That's the way legends are. They kind of get a life of their own, but it's a legacy within the Whetstone family, and it has to do with my dad growing up. Again, I don't know when it exactly began, but I think it's fair to say that my dad, and if he were here today, I think he probably would acknowledge it. My dad could have a little bit of a temper. He could. Uh, it wasn't out of control, just he'd have a temper. And uh, my dad liked to get animated when he was upset about things. And I don't know which of my sisters this happened with. I just know there was an encounter with one of my sisters and my dad was continuing to kind of escalate a little bit. And somewhere in that conversation, she looked at him and said, stop yelling at me. And my dad's famous words were, I'm not yelling, I just talk loud. That became, you never say anything that is so ridiculous that you laugh at it and you can't help but laugh back at that person. And then when everybody starts to laugh about it, it's really hard to be serious. That phrase became a joke around our family for years. I'm not yelling, I just talk loud. I'm not yelling, I just talk loud. And our, I, I bet my, in fact, I was going to text, no, I did. I texted my sisters this morning and I said, the message title today is, I'm not yelling, I just talk loud. Now, that sounds like a funny story to me until my wife started to say it to me. <laughs> and I would get animated, and I have, uh, I have a way of getting a little intense, and I can raise my voice. And by the way, I'm not always angry when it happens. I had a little boy at our last church that I was preaching one Sunday, and he was out in the hallway. This is a true story. He said, man, he's letting them have it today. I mean, he thought I was upset. I wasn't upset at all. I was excited, and so I kind of get animated. And, but my wife, I noticed over the years, she would just simply say, I'm not yelling. I'm just talking loud. And I realized generationally that I had taken on some of the characteristics of my dad. Let me take it at James chapter 1. I love James in fact, the, the longer I'm a believer, the more I love this because it's how practical James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, James, who Jesus himself appeared to very specifically in his resurrection, James is really where faith meets life. And if, um, if we have life verse, anybody of you here has a life verse? Any of you have a life verse? Some people have life verses. I have verses that are kind of like seasonal verses. The Lord will bring them to me, and for the next five, ten years, it'll just be my verse, and there'll be another passage. It just becomes my verse. This passage has become a, a theme verse as God has been taking me on a journey. Verse 19, James chapter 1, here's what it says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, to be sure, not all anger is wrong anger. In fact, anger in Scripture is a neutral emotion. It's a emotionally charged. God gets angry. Christ, I think you can say, got angry in situations. And so there is not really actually a, a moral code given to anger, but rather on how you deal with anger. But I want us to understand it's not just the firecracker. It's not just the person who elevates that is angry. In fact, I want to share with you real quickly just a few myths about anger. The first myth is simply this. If I, if I am quiet, then I'm not angry. If I'm quiet, I'm not angry. <laughs> By the way, I think just about everybody here probably knows that's not true. Uh, just because you're quiet, what do they say? It's the ones who simmer. They're the ones that are dangerous, right? But I don't know if Pastor Katie is in here or not during this service. Pastor Katie, you here? You here? She had a t-shirt on this week, and it just simply said, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm always fine. <laughs> that was what the t-shirt said. And it's kind of that idea that when I get upset, I'm simply going to be quiet. And what we realize is that when you're quiet, you can also internalize that anger, and it can actually have an expression. In fact, when I was a kid, uh, we were going to a, a friend's house to pick him up for vacation Bible school. He had a German shepherd dog. I walked up to ring the doorbell to ask him to go to vacation Bible school, and the dog looked at me. The dog never barked. The dog never growled, but the dog did take a chunk out of my glutamus maximus. I tell you right now, somebody's laughing. Pastor Todd, you're laughing. That ain't funny. <laughs> to this day, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't ever walk close to German shepherds. I, I can't help it because I realize just because they're not barking doesn't mean they're not going to bite me in the rump, <laughs> you know. Just because I'm quiet, just because, just because I walk away doesn't mean that I'm not angry. In fact, sometimes we call that withdrawing. We walk away, but we walk away because we're angry, and so there can, we don't really resolve the anger that's within. What if I'm justified? Well, if I'm justified, it's not angry. And if you take that to its logical conclusion, now I realize this very much, there could be justification. Somebody took my child's life, I'll take their life. Or somebody took my parents' saving, I will destroy their life. Or I will, and we realize that there is justice there. The problem is we live in the United States and the law would tend to disagree with what rightful actions are. You can be justified, I suppose, and still go to jail. Just because I'm justified, I'm not angry. Or, or maybe it's just simply if I laugh, I'm not angry. Just laugh at it. If I laugh at it, you know what? I was sitting in a McDonald's with a pastor friend years and years ago. He was a counselor and he was well beyond me in ministry. And I was talking about a situation at church and frankly it was some people just driving me crazy and I made a snide remark about it and he looked at me and he said, you know, Phil, sarcasm is anger at a low boil. Now, that doesn't mean I never get sarcastic. I kind of feel like I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, but, but I always try to check myself when that comes out. Am I, am, I, am I internalizing that anger? Am I holding on to that anger? Just because I laugh doesn't mean I'm not angry. And here's the one that Christians have been using for years, and I find the enemy uses it so much. If, um, if it's righteous, then I'm not angry. 
Righteous indignation. I have heard more Christians over the years redefine sinful behavior into righteous indignation as a way to justify behavior that is completely outside the character of Christ. I have a very good friend years ago. To this day, probably says he was righteous in his response. Had some teenage boys passing he and his wife in a car. They were kind of going back and forth. He said they were threatening. They weren't threatening as far as that, but he said their attitude was threatening. They went up to a stop sign. He went behind them, plowed into the back of their car. Got out of the car, walked up to the front window, And while the boy began to swear at him, he took the kid through the window, began to pull him out, and the other kid, he just pushed the accelerator and they took off. And he said, I am righteously indignant. I was defending my wife. Funny the cops didn't say the same thing. But I said earlier that anger actually is morally neutral. So what determines if anger is right or wrong? Well, Scripture identifies three things. Number one is the reason for the anger. This gets to the heart or the motive of the anger. Romans chapter 12 says these words, in fact, it even tells us, gives us instruction. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, love must be sincere, and then it says these words specifically, hate what is evil cling to what is good. So we're actually given an address, we're actually given a charge that when something is evil that we should be angry about it. And boy, we could name a number of things. And I I think of the the current conflict that's going on when when, uh, word got out with the Supreme Court justice beginning to take on and perhaps reverse Roe versus Wade. Oh my goodness, people have gotten so upset about that whole thing. And yet we, we realize that protecting the unborn child is a very biblical concept. And we also understand that life God says in God's word, man, before you were even knit together in your mother's womb, I knew who you are. So we would as believers understand that concept. So it's not wrong to be outraged when, a, a, when an innocent life is taken or if somebody abuses somebody or a child or if someone takes advantage of an elderly person. There should be an anger there, right? That's not an anger that is selfish anger. That's an anger that, that is welling up. Now, now, Scripture does identify that there are some unholy or unrighteous sources of anger. A number of years ago, I did a message called, Why Am I So Angry? And I will tell you, there have been a few messages in my life that have transformed me that God has used in my life over and over again. And I'm not going to revisit the whole message. But there are three sources of sinful or unbiblical anger. And the first one is just simply this, uh, this, this spirit that is stored up anger unresolved conflict. It's anger that I have held on to, and I always say it this way, I've placed it in my anger tank, and so what happens is when I get upset about something, I've got so much anger in the anger tank, and it's so close to full that it automatically bubbles over, and it expresses itself in an unhealthy way. Um, Scripture, the Greek word for this is orge. Okay, I like to say storge because it's stored up anger, but it's orge. It means anger that is long-lived, that is festering inside of me, that I'm storing up. Now, another Greek word that talks about this same concept is the word pikria, pikria. Say that with me, would you? Pikria. 
okay? This is a, you ever have a picked sweater? This is a picked spirit. It's the word for bitterness or corrosive anger. It's stored up. It's long-lived. That's unhealthy. According to Scripture, that's long-lived anger. Now, there's another anger that's just simply a selfish spirit. It's the spirit as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, man, those who got baptized this morning, can I tell you that even though you're a believer in Jesus Christ and the old has gone, the new has come, and the Spirit of God is working in your heart, that doesn't mean you'll never struggle with things in your Christian life. And I will tell you that in my Christian life, I had a great freedom from anger, but then like an old, uh, well, like an old enemy, it came visiting once in a while. And so I had to continue to surrender that to the Spirit of God's influence in my life. And you will only have two individuals in your life who will be in control of your life. It'll either be the Spirit of God or it'll be you. And Scripture says that when you're in control of your life, it really is the enemy in control of your life. So when I'm impatient, impatience is, a, is an exhibit of selfish anger. And I thought I was doing so well on this until Friday. It, road construction. <laughs> now, I will tell you, I've learned how to coach myself, and, and I, I, I've dealt with this thing in the front here. Give myself extra time. I've just decided, hey, it's not just slow for me. It's slow for everybody. It's road construction. It is what it is. I wasn't on this road. I was on Grashit. And I was headed toward Craft Road, going by Lakeside Beach, and there was this uh, person. <laughs> and the speed limit there is either 40 or 45 where I was at. I know because I looked right at the sign, and then I looked down, and we're going 25 miles per hour. This is not anger. It is a moral outrage. And then I, they kept doing this type of a thing. And I don't think they were drunk. I just don't think they were paying attention. And then couldn't decide whether or not they were going to turn on the craft road at the light. And then at the last minute, cut over in front of me. And then stops, and we miss the light. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, patience, patience, patience. It's okay. It's not. You know what, Phil? You don't have a right to be in front of that person. She has every right to be in front of you. That They have every right to be there. They have every right not to know how to drive, and you should not. And then we turned, and we started going uh, uh, west, and those wonderful public buses you do know when they stop, they don't have flashing lights. They're not school buses. You, don't, you can go around them. It's okay. It's allowed by law, but they didn't know that. <laughs> so finally, I said, uh, and I, I, I was okay. I did okay. I did okay. I was just saying, it's all right. But can I just tell you, I was going to an estate sale. I was on a mission. I said, listen, just because they're stopped doesn't mean you have to. And I, as well as about five of the people, just went around them, pulled into the estate sale. Guess who else was going to the estate sale? <laughs> A selfish spirit is an impatient, proud spirit. It, and then there's the out-of-control spirit, thumas, thumas. It is rage. It's out-of-control anger. And I was talking to a guy um, several weeks ago, and I said, you do know 
why, let me finish the story before you gasp. I said, you do know why people hit their spouse, don't you? They said, no. I said, because it feels good. Until it doesn't. People respond in ways and they let it go because it feels good to let it go. They scream because it feels good. Regret always comes in the consequences, but that's out of control anger and that's sinful anger according to scripture. The reason for our anger is a, is a big thing. The second one is our expression. How do we express that anger? There are healthy ways or unhealthy ways. Scripture says it this way. It says, uh, it says a, a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, it's interesting because most Christians think that the right way to express anger is to repress anger. But that's not true. In fact, I wrote it down this way in your notes. Anger will always find an expression. Say that with me, would you? Anger will always find an expression. It's only a matter of time. Simply squeezing something, that is how they make firecrackers, that's how they make hand grenades. And so sometimes our expression is in a very unhealthy way, certainly violence, unhealthy. The maniac, unhealthy, it's the hand grenade. The mute, the one who just simply quiets it up inside of us. Uh, the martyr, right, this is the person who is victimized and then will take small pot shots. And the manipulator, this is the person who is the passive aggressive. Lee Iacocca was really good at this one. If you've ever read his book, Iacocca, in the front, he talks about his disdain and his anger and his unforgiveness for Henry Ford. And then he says these words. He says, no, don't get mad, you get even. And there are so many different ways to express the expression of anger. But Scripture tells me, in fact, Jesus says it this way, blessed are the peacemakers, not the, not the peace fakers, the ones who just simply internalize it. By the way, when you take anger and internalize it, it either tends to destroy you, depression, or it destroys relationship, which is resentment. It's not the breaker, the one who just simply goes off because there's all kinds of devastating consequences to that. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. These are the ones who are courageous enough to actually under control deal with the injustice. And that leads me to number three. It's not just the reason, it's not just the expression, it's the duration that actually quantifies it in scripture. Um, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says this. It says, <clears throat> in your anger, do not sin, which infers you can be angry and not be sinful. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I don't know if that's literal Although, what happens if you get angry after sundown? Maybe you got till the next sundown to deal with that. I'm only being partially kidding on that one. I, I find that, you know, there are times of day not to have a deep conversation, and so sometimes we do need to have a little time go by on this. Notice what he says later in 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Listen to this. 
do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how do we do that? We'll get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. And there are, there are several types of anger that jump out of here, but they all have to do with long-lived anger. Long-lived anger is bitterness. It's taken root. It's taken hold. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I think. Do not miss the grace of God and do not allow a bitter root to take hold and defile many. That's long-lived anger. There's deep-seated anger. That's malice. Malice is just a mean spirit towards someone. There's life-halting anger. That's unforgiveness. That's why he says, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And I wrote this down. It's a direct quote from my mind, but I wanted to make sure I said it rightly. Even if, ang even if the reason for anger is right, and even if the expression began appropriately, once it turns into long-lived bitterness, it has gone from being the offender's issue to becoming your and my spiritual issue. Chew on that. That's the insidiousness of the enemy because, because something started off right and something started off as understandable and we may have even expressed it in an appropriate way, but then it took hold. Then it took root and something that used to be their problem has now become my problem. So over the last number of years, the Lord has been calling me to a new legacy. We do pass things on. Those of you who are parents or grandparents, we, we have legacies. There are three legacies I'd love to invite you to join me on. And the first one is learning the legacy of listening. He said, everyone, this means everyone, it's all inclusive, everyone be quick to listen. Listen says that before I'm going to formulate an answer and before I even formulate an immediate presumed emotion that they're guilty, try to not just listen to what they're saying, but the heart with which they're saying it and the reason why they're saying it. You know, we talk about in our justice system, innocent until proven guilty, and yet for many of us, because people have been built guilty in the past or because of our own experience in life, we presume guilt, and they have to prove innocence. 
And scripture says, he who answers before listening, it is to his folly and it is to his shame. And so when I'm listening, it isn't listening so that I can rebut them. It is listening so that I might actually hear and understand them. I will tell you, this is such a change for my family that at times they think I'm upset and I've had to explain to them, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not upset. I'm not withdrawing. I'm valuing what you're saying to me and I'm trying not to simply respond. Listen. The second legacy I would invite you on is leaning. Be slow to speak. Why? Because slowing down allows the Spirit of God to put a filter on your lips and to help you choose words that are appropriate. Let me ask this question. How long is a pause? By the way, I just had five of them in that time. It doesn't mean you don't speak. It doesn't mean you even have to to be gone for a day. It just means slowing down enough to allow the Spirit of God to... And you got to learn this a little bit. And you'll find it in those small pauses that the Lord can take an attitude or maybe a, a thermostat that's up here and bring it down to here. And I am trying to learn how to do that. I'm a, I'm a fast talker. I am. I, I, I've, been able, I've been that way for years. Do you know that the average person speaks about 140 words a minute? Normal speech. Fast speech is 170 words a minute. A slow talker is 110 words a minute. What if you just slowed down 10 to 15 words a minute? You know, it's amazing. We ask the Lord to lead our life, but we never slow down enough to allow him to do so. And I promise you, if you ask him, he'll do it. The legacy of listening, the legacy of leaning, relying on the Spirit of God to coach your words, choose a better word than a trigger word. Don't use a word that you know is going to upset them. Number three, it's the legacy of letting go. These are the words that are willing to be slow when it says slow to anger. That word means the Lord is forgiving. By the way, when it says be slow to anger, it's because the Lord is slow to anger. All throughout Scripture, the Lord is slow to anger. It means the Lord is forgiving. It, there are some things that you can let go. You don't have to hold on to them. We could have a whole conversation on that, which when do you let go, when do you not let go? But can I just tell you, you don't have to carry all the hurts, all the wounds. 
love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean it's a cover-up. It just means it knows how to let go. And I, I'm learning that. I, um, I've learned that I don't have to respond to everything right away. With our staff, with individuals, when they do something, I, I will take three days. And I'll take three days before I call it the three-day rule. And the reason for it is, uh, number one, it gives me time to really think through, is this something that needs to be addressed? Secondly, it allows the Holy Spirit to really de-escalate my emotions and it helps me to address the issue. And sometimes I find out it's not something that really has to be. And then what's amazing is in the three-day rule for me personally, now I'm not talking about a public offense, I'm not talking about something that has to be, you can't always wait three days, but I am found that oftentimes the Lord will begin speaking to them about their behavior and they'll come to me first. And I never even had to bring it up. And we pray this a lot. Lord, you speak to us, not because you hate us, but because you love us and you want us to be conformed to your image. And this is one of those areas he wants to do, that incredible work. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to, to not just deal with big things, but you hone in and you, you filter and you you speak to us about some of the internal things in our life, but it's not because you hate us. It's because you so love us and you so want us to be conformed into the image of your son. And so Lord, oh, Holy Spirit, I could probably ask you to begin speaking. You probably already have. You've been doing it all morning. So Lord, I'm simply going to say, I hear you. I'm listening, and this week, in fact, today, in fact, on the drive home, began doing these legacy works in my life. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.